0: Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. Some of you know my story. Some of you, most of you do not know my story. And um, Pastor Kurt asked me some, some questions the other day and... Um, It really, it made me stop and think a little bit about how I got to this place at this time. And so I want to I share with you a little bit of Chad and I's journey, of our family's journey. Um, if I cough, I apologize. I'm going to try not to cough in the microphone. Um, I was perfectly fine till Wednesday. I blame it on the devil. He didn't want me to talk, but I'm stubborn, so... <laughs> Um, So I want to share with you a little bit about what the journey Chad and I went on um, to get to this place right here, right now. And then I want to share with you the word that God put on my heart that combines with that. Um, Chad and I have been married for 18 years. The first nine years were not great, but not bad. They were, we fought a lot, but we made up. You know, it, it never wasn't too bad. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it any better. Like we, we were getting along. We were getting through it. We were high school sweethearts. We started dating when I was 15 and he was 17. Um, we got married when I was 19 and he was 21. So we were basically growing up together and you know, it's, it's, it's not easy, (laughs) right? You change. I was going to college. He was working full time. He was always an excellent provider. He always worked you know, if he had to work two or three jobs, that's what he did to make sure that I didn't quit school and I stayed focused. So I mean, he was like it was a it was it was okay. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad, right? We we did argue a lot, though. <laughs> um at year 9 something changed. Chad changed. I didn't change. What I didn't know at the time, what God hadn't revealed to me yet, was that I was a very selfish person. I grew up in a very poor home where there was never enough. And so I turned all my expectations that my parents couldn't give me to my husband. And I wanted him to fulfill everything in my life. Financially, if I wanted something, he should find a way to get it for me. Um, Emotionally, if I was having a bad day, he should be the one that makes me feel better. I I had placed Chad in that role of God in my life. At the same time, Chad had placed money in the place of God in his life. So he was consumed with making more, always more. He was never, ever satisfied. Um, He worked his way up in the oil field very quickly because he was that worker that showed up. He showed up an hour and a half early, ready to go, He would go and beg for work if they didn't have anything, hoping somebody wouldn't show up that day so he could go. Like, he was just, he was a hard worker. So he was moving up quickly. And as he moved up, my expectations moved up. His expectations moved up. We we looked to be okay with ourselves, to justify ourselves in possessions and what people thought of us. You better believe we never argued in front of anyone, right? We went to church every Sunday. We paid our tithes because that's what you did, right? That's what good Christians do. They pay their tithes. I counted it out to the penny, right? I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. My checks would be like $37.62 because that was his part. <laughs> but at year nine, something, something desperately changed. Chad met somebody that, um, a friend that he went to work with every day, that he did Bibles, they read their Bible together. But this friend had a different agenda. His friend wanted him to be all about him. And so he started saying things to Chad like, I can't believe your wife talks to you that way. Why does your wife treat you like that? And I didn't know any of this was going on because Chad worked out of town a lot. He worked a lot. There were weeks that we wouldn't see him at all. But he came home from this one trip, three weeks, it was a three-week trip, and I could tell something in him had changed. He no longer looked at me with love and affection. He looked at me like I was his enemy number one. He looked at me like he couldn't stand to be in the same room with me anymore, and he talked to me the same way. And uh, I can remember when I started praying for the situation because he started. I mean, he just like we couldn't even talk on the phone. I would call him to say I love you, and he we would end up in a two-hour phone call of arguing and fighting, and him telling me how selfish I was. And I was like, how, I'm not selfish. I do everything for you. I fold your clothes. I, I work, you know, I take care of your daughter. I do everything for you. So I started praying like this Dear God, change him. <sighs> He's broken. Can you fix him, please? Right? Like that's, I'm, being, I'm being honest with you. I'm being very transparent with you. That's what my prayers were. But at the same time, I didn't let anybody know. I was teaching Bible study. I was teaching youth boys' Bible study, so you know, I should have got extra prayer for that. I was, I was teaching. I, I was somebody that they looked to in the church. I got to speak on this, um, pub, this Christian radio station, the Hour of, of Prayer. Like I could not go to them and say, "My marriage is struggling right now. My marriage is broken." So, I did it myself. I'll just, I'll just take care of it myself, right? I'll fix this myself. So I started asking Chad, like, "What's the problem? Nothing. I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm fine." I started praying, God, fix him. I'm faithful. I go to search every time the doors are open. I'm faithful, so you should fix him. And God said, "Wait a minute." I want to look at something first. And I guess you'd call it a spiritual mirror that he held up. And he said, look at this. What do you see? And I was like, God, but it's not me that's the problem. You don't understand. Let me me tell you again what the problem is. He said, no, I want you to look in this mirror with me for a second. And I saw someone who was selfish. I saw someone who manipulated situations to get what she wanted, even if it meant it hurt the person I said I love the most. I started to see God started taking me to scriptures about submission and what a, a, Christ, a godly wife looked like, and he said, "How do you measure up, Vicky?" Well, I wasn't raised that way. He said, "I, I don't care how you were raised we got to fix something in you first. So we did. We started working on it. For the next year, God started taking me through what I call the year of being in a taffy pooler, where every time I thought I had it figured out, he took me through another layer, you know? Okay, let's look in the mirror again. No, I don't want to look anymore. And during that year, nothing changed with us. I'm still praying. I'm still asking God to change. I'm changing everything about me. I'm lining up my life to be like God. I'm I'm changing who I am to be more like him. And nothing's changing here. About a year in, I'd had enough. I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, I asked, I asked, our youth pastor and I were very close. I was a youth sponsor, so we spent a lot of time together. And, I asked her to pray for me one day. I said, how long does God expect me to stay in this marriage like this? Because I want out. And she started praying, and she said, she said, God, whatever's been done in secret, I, I want you to reveal it. And I was like, I don't really want to know. I just, I just want to know if I can get out or not. Like, you know, I just got to the point where I, I couldn't do it anymore. With you right now. I was broken. I was in the process of letting God break me in areas and change me in areas, and and I was going to church every service, and I was going to the altar. We had these nice altars that I've never seen in in Pennsylvania since I've been here. We had these nice wooden altars that I would go and cry my eyes out, and there'd be this nice big puddle, and whoever had to clean that up was like, What is she doing? That next day, well, that day, I I, I can remember praying this prayer. Because you have to remember, I grew up poor and I was now prideful because I didn't want people to see me as anything less than. My theme song for my life is How Do You Like Me Now? And I'm not joking, I love that song. (laughs) I grew up less than. I was the kid who got bullied unmercifully I remember getting shoved downstairs in junior high I didn't have it all together at any point in my life my parents fought constantly we would go to church we'd fight the whole way then we'd take a nap we'd get up rush back to church because that's what you do and then they'd fight the whole way back home they're gonna listen to this later and they're gonna call me on that probably but that's okay it's the truth So here's where my prayer was, dear God, I understand that I've messed up, Lord, change me, but Lord, I need you to do something in Chad's life, I need you, I need you to change him, but here's my, here's my requirements, I don't want to lose my house, I don't want to lose my car, I really don't want my lifestyle changed a whole lot, but could you just fix him in those parameters, and I am not joking, that was my prayer, it sounds kind of foolish now, right? I think if some of you are honest, you probably have prayed that same prayer. God, don't change anything, but do something. Don't make me uncomfortable, but do something. So for about three months, everything changed, got better. Um, God told me to forgive him, and I again told him he was the problem, and I didn't know why I had to be the one that forgave. But I did. Things started to get better. We got pregnant with Cade. But you see, I I put limitations on what God could do. I put limitations on where God could go with Chad. Because I didn't want to be uncomfortable, and I didn't want to be embarrassed. And I didn't want people to, to look at me and say, See, you're exactly who we thought you'd be. Because that was my perception of what everybody saw when they looked at me. It didn't matter that I had a master's degree. It didn't matter that I had a career. It didn't matter that I had a beautiful daughter. All I could see was that little girl in junior high that got bullied, or that that girl in high school that never was good enough to be a starter, no matter how hard she worked. So things got better for about mm, four months. But then it went really bad. Things got really bad. I started having a lot of trouble with my pregnancy. Chad and I fought constantly. It got to a point where something changed. And my prayer was no longer, God, if you don't have anything else going on, could you work on Chad a little bit? My prayer became, God, something has to change. Because here's what started happening. He lost his job. I got put on bed rest. I was a contract worker. That meant I wasn't making money. He wasn't making money. Our bills weren't getting paid. I had to be on food stamps and state help and what are people going to think Came to a point where I realized none of that mattered. None of it mattered. My ego didn't matter. My pride didn't matter. My house didn't matter. Cars. Because there came a point when I realized that if something didn't change in Chad's life, he was going to go to hell. Because he wasn't saved. He went to church to make me happy. He paid tithes so that I didn't gripe at him. But he never had that true commitment, that true encounter. And it became more and more obvious with the choices he was making. And I got to a point where I got to my knees and I said, God, nothing else matters but you. You can have my house. You can have my car. You can have everything. Lord, I'm giving you my husband. I'm giving you my marriage. I'm giving you my children. God, they don't matter. I can't hold them, and I can't change anything, but you can. And instead of digging through my Bible to try to find scriptures to justify why I should get to leave, I started digging through the Bible and looking for scriptures that said that I could expect a miracle from my God, and he would provide it. Let me tell you, I had my pastor, I had a lawyer, I had everybody that said, walk away, you can walk away. I've never seen a marriage come back from this. That's what my pastor said to me. And I got got my Bible out and I said, God, if you want me to get a divorce, if you want me to walk away, then I want you to show me where it says in the Bible that that's what your plan is for my family. Show me, right? This is, your, this is your word, this is all of it. Where does it say? But it, it's not in here. So it's not in here. That means that you are the option I have. You are the only option I have. So God, do the impossible. Everybody tells me it won't work. Everybody thinks I'm crazy because I haven't given up yet. Two things are going to happen, one of two things. I'm, they're going pr- to be right, and I am crazy, Or two, you're going to do something that no one expects that people will talk about for years because you showed your power. We had to go through some tough times before we got to where God did what he said he would do. I had to leave for a season, a couple weeks. Took my kids to my parents' house. And God started working on him. And it was no more me trying to make him love Jesus or him to be saved because that's what I wanted and because that's what people expected and that's what people, it was no longer about that. It was, it was to a point where there was only one answer and if he didn't show up, it was over. But you know what? God started working with me too on that because the reality was I couldn't rely on Him to be my provider. I couldn't rely on Him to be my, my Savior, to be my mental health, to be my support system. I couldn't rely on Him right now because He didn't care. I had to rely on God. There was nobody else there to hold me. There was nobody else there to comfort me and say it's all going to be okay. And you know what? He did. He did. There was a lady that... Catherine did beauty pageants for a couple of years. And she was the director of them. So you, you can imagine how much I wanted my life to be perfect for her, you know? And she calls me one night out of the blue. It had been over a year since I'd heard from her. And she calls me up and she says, How are you doing, Vicky?" I couldn't hold it in. I started telling her everything. Everything. And she says, Vicki, not worried about Chad to be all right. That was the first person. An unexpected phone call who had no idea what my life had been like for the last two years calls me and she starts praying over me and she starts praying exactly what I had been praying. Encouraging me the exactly the way that I've been asking God to encourage me. And I felt Fire, rise up in me. I felt fight come back in me. So Chad started to call me, and at first it was, "You did this. It's all your fault." Like, that's not my fault. Yeah, it is. It's your fault. You left. But then the next day, it was okay, I, it might be partly my fault. <laughs> but you still left. Because what you don't understand is that Chad has never known his biological father. He was kicked out of his house when he was 11 and lived with his grandparents. So the people who were supposed to be the most important in his life abandoned him. So that's what he saw. When he saw me leave with the kids. But I saw God start to change that. This is no lie, and I'm not exaggerating. I I loved my husband. My heart wanted to be back with him, but we had a late snowstorm that came in of like 15 inches. And I know around here that's not a big deal, but let me just tell you in Oklahoma, you don't go anywhere for a few days. Most of us don't even have four-wheel drive vehicles. So you're not going anywhere. And you know how all these people have these cool plows on the front of their car where they can just do the the roads for you? That doesn't happen in Oklahoma. Because, you know, we get two snows a year. It's not worth it. So I'm snowed in. He's snowed in 60 miles away. And God starts working on him. And then God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your family, leave what support system you have. I want you to go get Chad, and I want you guys to go move in with his aunt and uncle in the ghetto. (laughs) And I am not exaggerating. Again, if they listen to this, I apologize, but they know. So I left my four-bedroom brick home with my beautiful shop that I was going to lose anyway because we didn't, we didn't have the money to pay for it. I'm leaving all of that to go move into a house with four other adults and one other child. So now there's eight people living in a three-bedroom house with one bathroom, basically. And I'm like, you want me to do what? He said, that's what you need to do. All right, God. So I tell Chad, that's what we're going to do. No, we're not. (laughs) I said, well, that's the option God gave me. He said, okay, let's go. So we literally loaded up clothes in the back of the pickup truck, two-wheel drive, it was cleared by then. And we left, and we moved up there. See, he had to be separated from the life he had grown, and I needed to be separated from the life I had grown so that God could work on us. And he did. He was very faithful during that time. It took him another four months, I think, to get a job. I got hired on. I told you the story about a few months ago about how we had, you know, we lost our babysitter, we lost everything, and God provided all that. God did those kind of things this whole season we were in Wichita. There was one time when... um, Cade needed a coat. His coat was like, I was like, Chad, I don't know what we're going to do. Cade needs a coat. He's like, we'll figure it out, Vicky. But I forgot this lady giving me two bags of clothes. So I go and get the clothes out, and there they are, two gorgeous boy coats that fit him perfectly. God said, don't. Don't be upset about the way I provide. Just recognize that I'm going to provide. Again, I'm still working on this pride issue. I don't want people to know I'm struggling, but I don't have a choice anymore but to let people help me. I don't have a choice anymore but to let people in, let them know that I need prayer, let them know that my husband needs encouragement because he's a baby Christian, right? So we lived there for about a year and a half. And he, ha- he was not in the oil field during that time. And he comes to me one day and he says, um, I think I have a job in Pennsylvania. Mm. <laughs> Pennsylvania. I'm like, how many miles is that again? <laughs> but I knew that God was calling us to go somewhere else. So I prayed like crazy, God, please don't let this happen, but if it's your will, I guess we'll do it. (sighs) I left the door open for him, and everything fell into place perfectly, perfectly. Down to them paying for us to move up there because we didn't have the money to move up there, up here. Listen, the Vicky that would have that would have been three years before that, or yeah, three years before that, would have laughed and said, go ahead, have fun. I'm not moving. But something had changed in me because it no longer was about me, right? It was no longer about what was important to me, it was what was important to God. And so at that moment, when he had done the impossible for me, I had no choice but to give myself back to him and go wherever he told me to go. Do whatever he asked me to do. I wasn't the way I am now because I'm just a super Christian. I had that encounter with God and I gave up everything. No, I was a broken person who had messed up everything in her life, if you ask me. That God redeemed and he restored. And I realized through all that, we realized through all of that, that he's not my provider, God is. Chad's not, Chad realized he's, he's not, he just doesn't have to man up and be a better provider. He needs to rely on the one who is the provider and who owns everything. Everything changed in that instant. So I, wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to play along with me for a little bit. If I came to you and I said, I want you all to give me $100 cash right now. How many of you have questions of what I want that money for? Be honest. How many of you have several questions, (laughs) right? Okay, but if I give you a $100 bill, and I say, hold this for me, and I come back to you an hour later, two weeks later, and I say, hey, you know that 100 bucks, can I have it back? How many of you are gonna hesitate to give it back? How many of you have questions for me, right? Why? Because it was mine, right? It's the same with God. When we look at the mindset that we earned it, and it's ours, and we deserve it, it's really hard to give up that 10%. And we feel like we're really sacrificing to give that 10%. up. Listen, I was there. I told you, I counted to the penny. I did not round up. I might round down. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> You know, I put it in the offering plate going, God, I really need this money, but you said to give it to you. But something changed in me in that time and in Chad's heart, in my heart, and in our family that we realized it wasn't ours to begin with. It wasn't mine to begin with. It all belonged to him in the first place. So it was no longer about... I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. you know, Pastor Kurt was talking about how if you get upset by me talking about giving, then there's something you need to do, a heart check. I was that person. I already gave my 10%. Why are you asking for more? But after that, I couldn't give enough. Why? Because I'm a super Christian? No, because I realized it wasn't mine in the first place. And if God gave it to me to begin with, he sure could give me more. Right? He didn't give me all he had, and there's nothing left. But it was more than just money. God started showing me it was me. He wanted all of me. So I want you to turn to Mark 10, 17 through 31. I don't have a PowerPoint, so there's a Bible... In front of you, just pull it out. It's New Testament Matthew Mark. All right, you have the NLT version, but I really liked how the Amplified version reads, so I'm going to read that to you from there. As he was leaving on his Jersey journey, not Jersey journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him. Good teacher, you who are essentially good and morally perfect, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good by nature except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he replied to him, Teacher, I have carefully kept all these commandments since my youth. He paid his tithes, right? Probably counted it to the penny. He did everything that he knew to do. The law had required of him, he did it. So Jesus looks at him and he says, Jesus felt a love, a high regard, or a compassion for him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all your property and give the money to the poor and you will have the abundant treasure in heaven. And come, follow me, becoming my disciple, believing and trusting in me, walking in the same path of life that I walk. But the man was saddened at at Jesus' words, and he left grieving because he owned much property and had many possessions. And in the Amplified version, it says, which he treasured more than his relationship with God. So when I heard this story, um, I was like, wow, he expected a lot out of this one. Why did he expect so much out of this person? Why did he put it out there like that for this person? Like, did he just really have higher expectations for him? Was he setting him up for failure? Like, I had a lot of questions about why. And so I started looking at when the disciples were called. And if you look in that same chapter, or that same book, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, John and James, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. In Matthew, it says, they, they, both of these, it says immediately they immediately left their nets and followed him immediately left the boat and their father and followed them. So he presented the same thing to the disciples. He didn't have to spell it out for them as much, but he presented the same thing. And their response was totally different. Their heart was totally different. When our affection and our love is towards our possessions and what we own and what's ours, we deserve it, we earned it, we paid for it. And Jesus says, I want it. Why? What do you need it for? You want me to give it to them? Can, can I just tell you a little bit about them, Jesus, real fast? It says they left their father standing there working. I'm, I'm pretty sure culturally that was not okay. Right? They gave up everything to follow him, everything to go wherever he said to go. And he offered the same thing to this rich young ruler. But his heart and his affections were in the wrong place. I can honestly tell you my heart and my affections were in the wrong place for a long time. But God But God. So if you go back to the ruler in verse um, in chapter 10, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "How difficult it it will be for those who are wealthy and cling to possessions and status as security to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed and bewildered by his words. The disciples who had given up everything to follow him were amazed and and kind of confused as to why he would say this. Why? Because their heart, their affection was already there, right? Right? You can just imagine them looking at each other like, did he just say that? Right? <laughs> did you hear that? But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is. For those who place their hope and confidence in riches to enter the kingdom of God, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man who places his faith in wealth or status. To enter the kingdom of God. They were completely and utterly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? He goes on to say this. Looking at them, Jesus said, with people. As far as it depends on them, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter started saying to him, look, we have given up everything and followed you. Jesus said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, There is no one who has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake who will not receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I was so worried about being first. I was so worried about... Being the one that people could look to. I was the rock in my family. I was the one that everybody came to when bad things happened. That I started to believe it was me. But when I got to the end of myself, and I had nothing left, I learned what real strength was. I learned what real hope was. See, Jesus wasn't just asking for his money. Right? He was asking for all of him. You know, I want to I read this and go, well, God, if you gave me that option to walk around with Jesus for three years, I would have been right on board. Right? I would have been the first one in line. He would have been so annoyed with me, he would have been like, step back. Right? Right? But the truth is, he he does this for us all the time. I want you to give up that job, and I want you to take this one. Lord, that one's going to pay less. What will people think? He says, do it. But God... Lord, I've saved $10,000. I know, I want you to give it to the church. What? Why? He says, because it's mine, isn't it? You're mine, aren't you? Do you trust me? See, God and I have that conversation a lot. I'm going to quickly go through some hindrances that I see of giving God your all. Number one is fear. I can honestly say I struggled with fear. I made every decision growing up out of fear. And so when God called me to, to, to be a pastor, I was like, mm, I think you got the wrong person. And he said, no, I got the right person. Do it. You see, God isn't looking at your strengths or your weaknesses. And some of you need to put down your physical mirrors for a while. And you need to start looking at God so he can show you what he sees. Paul says, I rejoice in my weaknesses because that's when God shows up his strength in me. If anyone would have told me that I would be up here preaching in front of all of you when I was in high school, I would have laughed. I hated public speaking. We could have a class of 10 and I'd be shaking so hard I couldn't stand still. But it's not about me. It's not about what my strengths are. It's not about what my weaknesses are. It's about what God wants you to hear and that he wants to use me to share it. So I'm asking you, some of you need to put down your physical mirror. You need to stop looking through your weaknesses or your past failures or when you didn't do it right or when your marriage wasn't going good. Put that down because none of that matters. If God's calling you to something, if God's asking you to follow him, run. Run after him because it's so much better than anything you can do on your own. My second one is, is a need to be in control. Some of that comes out of fear. I was, (laughs) I'm not going to lie, I'll be honest, I was a little bit of a control freak. Everything had to be my way, everything had to be in order, everything had to have a plan. God says, that's not what I want. Let's do it my way. But God, I don't know where this is going. That's okay, let's just go. Some of you are so worried about being in control and having the answers and having a plan and knowing what is going to happen next that you're missing what God's trying to do right now in you and through you. Listen, there are people who need the exact gifting and the exact talent that you have, but you're scared. Or it doesn't fit into your plan. That's not what I have planned for my life. I have a 10-year plan. It's going to go like this. I'm going to save this much money. I'm going to have kids when I'm this age. And God says, no, that's not the right plan. It's not that he doesn't want to give you the desires of your heart. But he says, first, seek his kingdom. Then you will get the desires of your heart. Because you know what happens when you start seeking his kingdom first? You get a priority change. Things start to shift a little bit. Things that you thought were so important, I thought was so important. No one can know I struggle. No one can know I had, a, I had a bad marriage for a while. No one can know these things too. I will shout it to whoever wants to listen because what God did in the process. My priority is different now. I realized that what when God gave me that testimony, it's prophecy into everyone else's life that hears it. So let me tell you right now, if your marriage is in trouble, I'm speaking prophecy over your marriage that it can be restored and it can be better than ever. Amen? Amen. Claim it. Tell God, I want what she had. That's my promise too. let go, let go of the reins, just trust him, just trust him, he's not going to fail you, we, we sang a song today, he's undefeated, your problem's not too big, you're not too far gone, my third one is you don't want to be uncomfortable, I kind of like my routine, God. See, the generosity from the money came pretty easy to me. The generosity of my time and my commitments and what I wanted out of my life, that was a little bit harder. And God had to work on me a little bit longer for those things. I can honestly tell you this was never my dream or my plan to be a pastor, to preach it wasn't. It's not that I hate it. I love it. I, I, God had a much better plan than I did. See, my plan included being a counselor and working as a counselor every day. And I can honestly say I didn't enjoy it. There was always something missing, there was always something that wasn't working well. But that was my plan. So I'm sticking to it. And God said, No, I got a better plan for you. And He did. And I get to do this. I get to talk about Jesus. I get to tell people what he did. I get to go to other countries and tell them that there's a God who loves them desperately. His plan was better than mine. I just had to stop and listen, and I had to be obedient. In Luke 12:48, it says this, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And someone, when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Everything I have, everything I am, strengths, weaknesses, major failures, none of them belong to me. My healthy marriage that I have now doesn't belong to me. My testimony doesn't belong to me. My checkbook, the number in my checkbook, doesn't matter to me. Why? Because it 's not mine anyway it is. As I was preparing this yesterday um, I got alone with God and I said, God, before I go up there and I share this, I need to know Is there anything I haven't given up yet? Is there anything in my life that I'm still the king over? That I'm still the one sitting on the driver's seat? Because I don't want to go up there and be a hypocrite. So he showed me something and I repented. And I gave it back to Him. Listen, this is a journey. It's not a one-time deal. It says, die to yourself daily. Daily. Why? Because we get caught up in life, right? We get caught up in in our house and our children and, and our plans. And God says, come back come back and give it back to me because I have something better for you. You know, we talk about we want revival and and I desperately want revival, but guess what? It starts with us. If you look back at the church of Acts, that's what I hear. I've heard people say that. I want to be like the church of Acts. Let Let me tell you what they did. Now, all who believed were together had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone needed. In Acts four thirty-two it says, now the multitudes of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say any of these things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with the great power of the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all nor were there any among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and distributed to them as they were needed. Why? Am I telling you you have to go and sell everything you want and bring it to me? No. No, because if you do that, because I told you to, it will mean nothing. But what I'm telling you is Make sure that the blessing doesn't become more important than the blesser. Make sure what God has given you doesn't become more important than God Himself in your life. So if He puts it on your heart to do something, do it. Because He sent His Son. How many of you are parents and have a son? We've invest too much time in them, right, to just give them up to be killed? Or is it my son the only one that's really rambunctious and rowdy? <laughs> he gave his only son. Well, we were still a mess to die on the cross for us. He sacrificed everything. Jesus humbled himself. He went from being in heaven, part of the trinity, to being a lowly man on earth, being spit on, cursed. Why? Because he loves you. And God's just asking for the same love in return. Love him more than anything this world has to offer. Because he says it's all gonna perish. It's all gonna go away. You didn't come into the world with it, you're not leaving the world with it. So give him your all. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.